Well, hey guys, it's good to see you this morning. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, it's good to have you with us on this Lord's Day. I especially want to welcome those of you that are our guests today. Thank you so much uh, for choosing to come and worship with us. We are happy that you are here. I uh, want to uh, just share some announcements with you. I hope that you picked up a bulletin on the way in. Uh, there are a lot of very important announcements in the bulletin for you. Uh, so I want to make sure that you are aware of those. There's two things I need to share with you that are not in the bulletin. One of those being that uh, the skeet shooting outing uh, has been pushed to October the 7th. So if you're interested in putting together a team and going skeet shooting, uh, men, women, boys, girls, as long as you don't shoot each other, we're good with that. Uh, but you can talk to Kevin. Uh, he's up here. There he is. You can talk to him. He can give you all the information about the skeet shooting outing. Uh, also, wanted to let you know because we are hoping for a baby really quick <laughs> that uh, the teen kid will not meet tonight because those leaders are planning on uh, Lord willing, being at a hospital having a baby, hopefully that, that will work out. Uh, so there will not be any teen kid tonight. But uh, we, we wish you guys nothing but the best, and we can't wait to get the, the word that that new baby is here. But thank you again for being here. Uh, I, I, need to, I need to make a presentation this morning. I have talked a lot of junk about my golf game. And last night, y'all were so scared, none of you came. Uh, I, there was eight of us, um, and one person beat me. Out of, now, granted, out of eight, that's one person beat me. So, Don, step forward, son. <laughs> so you have bragging rights that you beat the trash-talking preacher at Putt-Putt I want to present to you the, the scorecard that will prove it. All right? The dude shot a 38. That's an average of two strokes per hole, okay? Now, I mean, he's the dog to beat now, okay? So when we plan the next one, instead of coming to beat the trash-talking preacher, which you're all scared of, Come beat Don, okay? You got to come beat Don. Uh, we appreciate a uh, uh, good time we had last night. Uh, now, I will tell you, I did come in first. I was the first loser. Uh, I came in second, so I was the first loser. Uh, but at least we had a good time together, didn't we? All right. Well, I hope you'll, you'll join in on the next family activity that's coming up, which is not too long uh, from now, and that is our big back-to-school bash uh, the first Sunday in August, we'll get together on the back lawn, um, grill some hamburgers, and we've got all kind of fun things going on that day. So uh, this is an excellent opportunity for you to invite friends and family who don't go to church anywhere. Uh, instead of just inviting them to a church service, which I hope you do, but man, what a great way to bring them to, out on the back lawn on a Sunday evening and let them get to build relationships with the rest of us. Uh, and, and hopefully, you know, they'll find a place here that they want to plug into. Uh, you know, guys, it's been proven that if, if those who don't go to church at all, 
that their first introduction in the church is usually by the invitation of a friend. The pastor can invite and invite and invite. We can send out invitations throughout the community. That We've got a 10% chance they'll show up. But if you invite your friends, we've got an 80% chance they'll show up. 80%. You're the key to this church growing. You are the key. So now is the opportunity. We're, we're going to do everything we can over these next several months to give you opportunities, family opportunities, to invite your friends and your family to come and participate in different things so that we can build relationships with them. So I hope you'll take advantage of that. Uh, I don't know when our next putt-putt outing will be, but it, we'll, we'll wait till it's a little cooler. But uh, I promise you, Don's going to bring his A-game. And uh, he's going to dare you to knock him off his throne, okay? Uh, so, listen, you got to, I don't know if he can hang on to that 38 score uh, forever. So, you're going to have to come and beat him. I'm glad you're here. It's good to see you. Let's take just a moment uh, to pray together. Our Father and our God, it's always, always a joy to be in the house of the Lord. To be able to come into this place of worship. To join with our our friends, our family members, our neighbors, our, maybe some people we're meeting for the very first time, but to be able to join together and to worship you together with one voice, declare your glory and to give you our praise. And Lord, I pray that today we've come into this place to do just that, that our hearts are prepared for worship, that we've come today, Lord, seeking uh, to, to praise you and adore you and glorify you, knowing, Lord, that when we do that, you, you inhabit our praise. And we know, Lord, that there's some in this room right now that uh, this has just been an awesome week. Things have fell right into place. Lord, you've just blessed them so tremendously. And today's a day of celebration for them. And, and we just pray, Lord, that today will be a day when they, they offer their thanksgiving to the God who makes all things possible. But, Lord, we also know that there's some in this room today, this has just been a hard, hard week. Man, they've had to fight through it and struggle through it. But, Lord, you've brought them through, and they're here to testify to that. And, Lord, may today be a day when they they find rest, when they find energy and recharging in their heart and soul for, for the next week that lies ahead. Because, Lord, you are able to do just that. So, Lord, whatever it may be that that is in the need of every heart in this room, we pray, God, that it will be found in you. That answer is in you, Lord Jesus, and that today your name is exalted above every name because that, Lord Jesus, is the only name that can save us and whereby we find salvation. So, Lord, do, your, do what only you can do today. Do, do, Lord, your work in this place. And we will give you honor and glory and praise. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for everything you've given us, dear Lord. Dear Lord, now we come to a uh, time uh, to give back just a small portion back to you, dear Lord. Use it for your kingdom. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, we just sang about the sufficient grace of God. Now let's stand together and sing about his amazing grace.
big amen. Thank you for your singing. You may be seated. Thank you so much uh, to our gospel choir for singing for us this morning. I appreciate that. They uh, practice every Sunday at 9.15 downstairs in this building, downstairs in the basement. And so if you, it's not too late for you to get in on it. Uh, It's just probably a few more weeks, about a month and a half left. So uh, you can still get involved and I hope that you'll pray about that and think about that. Let me get this out of the way. If you have your Bibles, would you join me in the book of Philippians, chapter number 3. Philippians, chapter number 3. Uh, we're going to be picking up uh, our Anchored Life series again today and uh, continuing to look at what it means and, and, and what implications there are uh, for a person to have their life rooted grounded in the Word of God, to be, to be steadfast, unmovable, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 58. And, and that's what we are called to be and are called to do, to be rooted and grounded in the Word of God. Because life has so many twists and turns. There are so many storms that can come upon our life, and, and we don't always get a, a warning that it's coming. Sometimes it comes quickly, and it comes violently, and we're, if we're not prepared, uh, we'll get swept away. So having an anchored life is vitally important for every believer. So we're going to continue this series today as we look at uh, Keys to a Fresh Start. Uh, we're going to start in chapter 3, verse number and read down through verse number 11. So uh, I invite you to read along with me as I read this scripture. Paul is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and he says, Beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers, beware of the false circumcision. For we are the true circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh. If anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisees, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness, which is the law, found blameless." But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss 
for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ, and may be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own, derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Let's pray. Father God, again, thank you for the privilege of being able to open the inerrant, the infallible, the inspired the authoritative Word of God, to be able to read from these pages knowing that this is so much more than a book and these are so much more than just writing upon a page. But this is the words of life, the, the words that point us to your grace that we've sang about today, words that reveal to us your heart of compassion and love for each of us. Your heart that beats for us, Lord, to know you and to love you and to serve you. So, God, as we study these pages today, as we study these words today, bring them to life within us. Inscribe them upon our heart that they may prevent us and protect us from the storms of life. And, Lord, I pray that you take this earthen vessel, this body of clay, that in and of itself, Lord, is so useless and worthless. But today, Lord, that you fill it with your spirit, that from these lips of clay may pour forth your truth as you speak to our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. How many of you know what I'm talking about when I say a mulligan? A few of you do because the few that showed up last night, they actually, we gave everybody one mulligan, by the way, last night. And no, his first name isn't Jerry. That's not the one I'm thinking of, brother. When I say you know what a mulligan is. Uh, we're not talking about Jerry Mulligan. We're talking about a mulligan being a, a second chance to perform an action, usually after the first chance went wrong under bad luck or a blunder. That unique term is primarily used in the game of golf. And now, not the, the, the professional PGA-type golf, but usually a friendly game among friends and family members when they allow, the, they show grace to each other by allowing them to get a, a do-over, a second chance uh, at a shot on the golf course. Wouldn't it be great, though, if every time we make a mistake that we could claim a mulligan and get a second chance? Wouldn't that be great? I mean, I think most of us can look back over our life and we could, we could definitely identify certain times and certain events in our life where if we could just go back and redo that, if we could just go back and, and replay that event or, or rethink that thought or, or, or rethink that action, whatever it would be, we would be so happy because we know there would be a better or more, uh, more positive outcome if we could. But there are no mulligans in life. We, can't get, we don't get do-overs. We can't, just, we can't just decide 
well, I messed up on that, so I'm going to take back those words. I'm going to take back that action. I'm going to take back whatever it was that I participated in, and I'm going to do it differently this, this, this second chance. We don't get those mulligans in life. But while God doesn't give us mulligans, He does offer us fresh starts. He offers us opportunities to start afresh and anew from right where we are. We can't go back and redo and back and undo. But what we can do is by the grace of God and with the help of God and the leadership of the Holy Spirit and with the presence of God in our life, we can start new now. We can start fresh now. And we can move forward from here, that fresh start. In today's passage, Paul is reflecting back on his life. He's sitting in a a Roman prison as he's writing these words. He's trying to encourage these believers in Philippi who are under tremendous pressure. They're being persecuted and prosecuted. They're being kicked out of their homes. They're being run out of town. They're being told that they, they don't have a job any longer. All because they profess the name of Jesus Christ. And many of them have... have succumb to the temptations maybe or or have slipped back into their old way of life to try to to try to somehow some way ease the pressure that they're under and now they live with the guilt or maybe even the shame that they have somehow stepped away from their faith and and now Paul is saying to them you 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 can start fresh right here you can start fresh right here And so he points to a time when God gave him a fresh start. And now he offers these words of encouragement to the people in Philippi. So what I want to share with you today is from Paul's writings, from Paul's life, I want to share with you two keys. Two keys to that fresh start. Now there's more things, of course, but these two keys, if we'll just, if we'll, if we'll grasp these two things, I, I, I think what we'll find is that God will do an amazing work in our life and helping us to move forward from where we are right now. Okay, what is that though? What are those keys? The first one is simply this. Settle your eternal destiny. You need to settle that today. You need to settle it right now. All of us in this room, are we are building our life on some kind of foundation. Every one of us, we're building our life on some kind of foundation. And the foundation on which we build our lives has far greater consequences than just what happens next week, next month, or next year. It literally has an implication on our eternal destiny. The foundation we're building our lives on. See, here's what I want you to understand. Every person in this room is either going to live forever or die forever. You're going to do one of those two things. There is no third choice. There is no uh, middle ground. You're either going to live forever in heaven or you're going to die forever in hell. You're going to do one of those two things. You say, well, that... Preacher, that's just kind of offensive to me. That's kind of in your face and pushing things. Guys, listen, I love you too much not to tell you the truth. You're going to do one of those two things. You're going to live forever or die forever. There is no third choice. And so we must settle our eternal destiny. The determining factor will be whether we live forever or die forever is what foundation we build our life on here. 
And, and so what Paul does in reflecting back on his life is he said, I just want to go ahead, guys, and throw out there three very dangerous foundations that you do not want to build on. Okay, I, I, want, to, I want to pull back the veil and I want to show you where I was headed in the wrong direction because I was building on the wrong foundations. And how God helped me to have a fresh start when I, when I finally settled my eternal destiny. He helped me with that. So what are these dangerous foundations? The first one he reveals to us is the foundation of religious heritage. He talks about that in verse number 4. He says, although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh, if anyone else has mine to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. And then he goes on to say he was circumcised the eighth day. He was of the nation of Israel, a tribe of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, and as to the law, a Pharisee. He's showing us that when it comes to religious heritage, he had it. He had it in the bag. If that was the foundation he was going to build his life on, then, then he had that in place. His parents were very devout Jews, and they had made sure that their son, Saul of Tarsus, was in compliance with all the Jewish religious practices. He could have very easily chosen to build his life on the heritage that had been passed down from his family. He could have said, well, you know, I, I, my mom and my dad did this, and my grandpa and my grandma did this, and my uncles and my aunts do this, so this is what I need to do. Many think that because they were raised in church or been taught that believed that there is a God, that that must make them a Christian. That must make me, that must make me uh, a person who is headed toward heaven. But the, the truth of the matter is, we can't ride the coattails of our Christian family members into heaven. We, we can't do that. Maybe you had one of the most godly moms or the most godly dads or the most godly grandma or grandpa. Maybe you had a, a, a godly person in the neighborhood where you grew up who took you to church. Whoever that godly person in your life is, you can't ride their faith into heaven. You can't ride their, their, their salvation is their salvation. You must have your own. And so you can't ride the, this religious heritage. Is a religious heritage a good thing? Absolutely. I hope every family in this building right now, you are raising up your children and your grandchildren or your nieces and your nephews. I hope you're raising them up in the fear and the admonition of God so that they know that there is a creator in heaven and, is, and that the God of heaven loves them with an everlasting love. I hope you're living out before them what it means to be a man or a woman of faith. I hope you're living that out. I hope you're giving your children that kind of example. But I'm here to tell you, they can't ride that into heaven. Just like you couldn't ride the religious coattails of anyone that you have known into heaven. So he talks about that's a, that can be a dangerous foundation. If, you, if you're basing your eternal destiny on someone else's salvation, that's a dangerous foundation. And then he says it's not just the religious heritage. There's that religious affiliation. You, you do know that Every mainstream evangelical denomination are convinced that they're the only ones going to be in heaven. But can I tell you who's going to be in heaven? Saved people. 
It doesn't matter what that denomination was. If they accepted Jesus, repented of their sins and accepted Jesus Christ and the salvation that he offers to them, they're going to be there. Well, so wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. They, they don't worship like we do. You're right. They might not worship like we do, but guess what? They're saved by the same grace. They are redeemed by the same Savior. They are, they have been brought into salvation under the same cross, and they're going to be in heaven just like all the good old Baptists are. But we want to think sometimes, well, it's going to be just us good old boys that think the way we think. See, he had something going for him that not many people had going for him in his day. And that was that Paul had been privileged to receive the finest, and I do mean top-of-the-line religious education. I mean, he had the best teachers. He had sat under some of the, the finest and most notable religious leaders of his day. He had sat at the feet and studied from the the... the the teachings of, of some of the most coveted teachers in the Jewish faith. He had had a good education. Not only that, he was born as a member of God's chosen people. He, he could say of himself, I am of the nation of Israel, that I, I am of the seed of Abraham, and, and I, am, I have that pedigree. Uh, that I'm affiliated with the nation of Israel. I'm affiliated with the finest teachers. But a religious education from the greatest leaders and being a part of the right family can't get you into heaven. It's, listen, is that a good foundation? Absolutely. A Christian education is a good education. It's a good foundation. Is being associated with and affiliated with a Bible-believing church good? Absolutely. Every born-again believer needs to be affiliated with a Bible-believing, Bible-teaching church. But will that get you into heaven? No. It's a good thing, but it's a dangerous foundation. Billy Graham once said this. He once said, now I don't remember how far back in his life it was, but he once said that he believed that 80% of people who call themselves church members were still lost. Is that not staggering? That 80% of the people who called themselves church members, it doesn't matter whether they were Baptist, Methodist, Presbyterian, uh, Foursquare, whatever it might have been, whatever their affiliation was, that if they were church members... 80% of them were most likely still lost. Now, folks, I want you to think about that for just a second. If that number is anywhere close to being accurate, 80% of the people are building on this foundation. They're counting on their name being on a church roll somewhere to get them into heaven. But can I tell you something? You can get you you can go join every church in Stanley County, regardless of the denomination. As long as they're an evangelical uh, group, you can go go join every church you want. But having your name on those rolls will not get you into heaven. Only those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life will enter 
into heaven. And there's going to be so many people, I believe, that on their day of, uh, of standing before God are going to start reading their resume and telling God about, oh, I, I joined such and such church and I served on, on that committee or that team and, and I served in that capacity and, and here's all the good things that I did within the church. And then they're going to hear, depart from me. You that work iniquity, I never knew you. You see, they built their eternity on their religious, their religious affiliation. And then, of course, there's, he talks about religious activity in verse 6. He says, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness which is in the law, found blameless. Everything Paul had done prior to his encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ had been done in the name of religion. You do realize that it was in the name of religion that men hijacked airplanes and flew them into buildings. You do know that it's in the name of religion that people have wandered onto the, the, the ramp of, of subway stations and with, with bombs on their body and blew themselves up. All in the name of religion. And he looks back and he tells us, he said, even if you want to gauge me by the law, while I'm not perfect, he's not saying he's sinless or perfect, but here's what he is saying. If you want to judge me by the law, I come pretty doggone close to being blameless. I made sure I crossed every T and dotted every I every single day because he believed that's what Gave him favor with God. And so, can I put it in today's context? In today's world, we would say this of Paul. Well, he went to church every time the doors were open. He served in the church. He read his Bible every day. He wore a cross necklace around his neck. He even had a drawer that was slap full of WWJD t-shirts that he wore everywhere he went. We would say then, Paul, how? Oh, you were good. But don't miss this. Paul says, while these are good things, they couldn't save me from my, my sin. They, they could not bring me peace with God. Those things, while being good, while, while, being, while, while being notable and, and admirable, while those things were good, they couldn't save me. No amount of religious activity could. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11, Paul then turns around and points to that right foundation when he says, For no one can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, and that, my friend, is Jesus Christ. He said, unless you're building your life on Him and a relationship with Him and, and, and having knowledge of Him, not just head knowledge, but heart knowledge, where you have come to know Him as your personal Lord and Savior, He's telling us that's the only foundation you can build on that will give you eternal life. All these others are good, but they're not enough. So if we're going to have a fresh start starting today, we need to examine our lives and ask ourselves, what foundation am I building my life on right now? Am I building my life on something that, that's, that is religious or am I building my life on a relationship with Jesus Christ? So we start by settling our eternal destiny. The second key that he points out 
is in verses 7 down through 11, where he tells us once you set, once you settle your eternal destiny, the second key is to set your mind in the right direction. Set your mind in the right direction. When we surrender our lives to Jesus and we, we, we repent of our sin and we profess Him as our Lord and Savior, one of the first things that's going to happen to you, I promise you, if you're a new believer, it happens to you every single time. If, if you are a believer that's been a, a follower of Christ for some time, you probably remember this happening to you. One of the first things that happens is Satan begins to remind us of our failed past. He starts bringing back all the junk of the past. Oh, remember when you used to? Remember when you did? Remember when you used those kind of words? Remember when you abused your body in this way? Remember when you did that? Remember remember what you used to do? You think God wants you, really? You think God could save somebody like you, really? I mean, why would God want you anyway? That's what he tells us. The goal of our great enemy is to keep us looking backwards. He wants us to be so entrapped by the past that we can't set our mind on the right direction. In the past, that's where we find our guilt. That's where we find our shame. That's where we find our discouragement. And that's why Satan wants to keep us pointing in that direction. If he can keep us feeling guilty and shameful and discouraged, it keeps us from being a threat to his kingdom. So how do you set your mind on the right direction? Man, I'm glad you asked that question because I wanted to close with that. The first thing he tells us we have to do if we're going to set our mind in the right direction is we have to let go of the past. He talks about that in verse 7 and 8. Whatever things were gained to me, those things I've counted for loss for the sake of Christ. Even more than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count those things behind me. Listen to them. I count those things as rubbish so that I might gain Christ. I count them as rubbish so that I might know Christ. If we're not careful, we'll allow the failures of our past to handicap our future. There are some who have, who, who maybe you used to teach a, a, a discipleship class. Maybe you used to teach a Sunday school class, but then someone somewhere in one of those groups said something negative about your teaching. And it hurt you. And it hurt you badly. And it scarred you and it wounded you. But what happened was the enemy used that to help you, to get you just to sit down and be quiet. Don't even try again. You see, if we're not careful, sometimes those things in our past will hinder our future. It keeps us from going forward. Well, I, I used to do that, but I want to tell you something. I get, man, that hurt. And it does. Can I tell you something? One of the greatest hurts anyone will ever have is church hurt. It's one of the greatest hurts anyone will ever have. You know why? Because in the church, we expect people to act like believers and to reflect the love of Jesus. We expect that of people. And when they don't, which we all have our our times when we don't, it hurts. And it hurts deeply. And it's a real wound, okay? 
I'm not, I, I am not playing it off. I am not belittling it. I am not minimizing it. I am not trying to push it to the margin. All I'm saying is, look, if, if Satan knows he can keep picking at the scab of your past church hurt to keep you from serving in the future, he'll pick it all day long. He'll just keep reminding you over and over again. Oh, remember what so-and-so said? Remember what so-and-so did? Remember how they treated you? Remember how you worked so hard and nobody cared? Remember how? Remember how? Remember how? And so we sit on our orange padded pew and say, well, don't ask me to ever do something like that again because I'm not going to do it. We got to point our mind in the right direction. We got, we got to get our mind in the right direction. We got to do that by letting go of the past. And I've got news for you. When you became a born-again believer and a follower of Jesus, the you of the past, the you that was not saved, the you of you that didn't know Jesus, died. Did you, can you believe that? If you're a believer, you've already died once. That's the good news. That old person is gone. Believers, we don't, we don't have to be reminded of what we were because now we are a new creation in Christ Jesus. And our past may affect our, uh, our future in some ways, but the past doesn't have to be our focus. It doesn't have to hold us captive. Because, praise God, can I tell you something? If you're a born-again believer, child of God, you have repented of your sin and surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ, you, my friend, are heaven-bound. You're going up, not back. So keep your mind in the future, not the past. Paul tells us not just to forget the past, but he also says if we're going to set our mind in the right direction, we've got, we got to grow in righteousness. Before we were saved, we were pursuing our own righteousness. We thought we could just be good enough to get into heaven. We could just do just enough good stuff. Jesus talks about this, by the way, in, in, in Matthew chapter 7. I believe it's verse 21. When he, he, he says this, well, will not many say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we? And he starts, they start reading their resume. And he said, and I'll have to say to them on that day, depart from me, you that work iniquity. I never knew you. They were trying to earn their way in heaven. They're trying to get to heaven on their own righteousness. But can I tell you what the Bible tells us? That the very best righteousness you can muster is like a filthy rag before God. But now, because we have surrendered our life to Jesus, we've repented of our sin, we have access, we are clothed in, we are, we are draped with the righteousness of Christ because we have been made new in Him. Before Christ, we were, we were doing everything we can to work our way into heaven and earn the right, but we failed. But as a follower of Jesus, He has clothed us in His perfect righteousness. So that when you stand before God, He doesn't see your filthy rags of your righteousness. He sees the pure, perfect righteousness of His Son Jesus. And He says, enter into thy kingdom. Enter into my kingdom. And He allows us to have access. We are to pursue and grow in the righteousness of Christ. And then lastly... Follow the example of Jesus if you want to keep your life focused in the right direction. He displayed the power of God through his suffering. There's, there's, there's so much 
ingrained in the words that Jesus uttered from the cross. As he cried out, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. In his suffering, he glorified God. In his resurrection, he glorified God. Everything that he did, he, he did to glorify God the Father. And if we read verses 10 and 11, which we often do, you know what Paul is simply saying. I want to be like Jesus. I want to be like Jesus. And the only person who can make you like Jesus is Jesus. Through the power of the Holy Spirit. Just as the life of Jesus brought glory to God in everything Jesus did, Paul says, I want that in my life. I want God to work in me. I want the Spirit of God to work in me. I want my relationship with Jesus to work in such a way that everything I do in my life brings glory to God. So if we're going to get our minds in the right direction, we've got to let go of the past. Grow in righteousness, the righteousness of, excuse me, the righteousness of Christ, and follow the examples of Jesus. So let me close with this. Do you need a fresh start? Do you need a fresh start? I mean, maybe, maybe some of these foundations that were dangerous that I mentioned just a few moments ago, maybe, maybe you look at your life and you go, wait a minute, that's, that's what I'm building my life on. You mean, you mean it's, not, it's not good enough? It's not, it's not the right thing? I'm here to tell you, there's only one foundation that's been laid where, where we must build on, and that is Jesus Christ. So it may be today that you need to lay aside some of your religious activities and religious affiliation, your religious heritage, and find yourself at the foot of the cross where you surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ by repenting of your sins to Him. You need that mulligan? Today's a good day to get that mulligan. If that's what you desire, then there's two things you got to do. Right here, right now, today, you need to settle your eternal destiny by knowing that you know that you have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. That you are in Him and He is in you. And you need to set your mind in the right direction. And quit looking back and feeling the guilt, shame, and disappointment of the past. And let God begin to move with you and through you to move you forward. As you start that new direction, that new start. In just a moment, we're going to stand. We're going to sing together. My prayer is that as we close our time in God's Word today, that you'll take what God has given to us through the Apostle Paul and you'll use it as a mirror to stand in front of and examine your life. Oh, can I tell you something? God already knows everything about you. You don't have to fill Him in or, or bring Him up to date on where you are in your spiritual walk. He already knows all that. He wants you to see it. So he gives you his word to act as a mirror so that you can stand in front of it and examine your life. And you can see yourself as God sees you. Not as the person in the pew with you or anyone else sees you, but as God sees you. Settle your eternal destiny. Set your mind in the right direction. Let's pray. Father.
You love us too much to leave us where we are like we are. I thank you, Lord, that you have, through your word, revealed to us, unveiled, uncovered, the dangerous foundations that so many of us are tempted to build our life upon. But Lord, today you've pulled back the veil. You've, you've shown us, you've shown the light of your truth and the light of your word on, on those foundations to show us what they really are. And Lord, while they're good, they're not, they're not what is required for us to enter into the kingdom of heaven. So Lord, I pray that today we'll examine the foundation that we're building our life on. And Lord, if we're, if we're guilty of, of, of building on one of these good but dangerous foundations that today will be the day, Lord, that we, we abandon that, that building, that we begin to build our life on the right thing, Lord, that we find ourselves at the foot of the cross, repenting of our sins, acknowledging that we're a sinner that can't save ourselves, and you're our only hope, Lord Jesus. That unless we are redeemed by your grace, that, Lord, we will never make it into a place called heaven. And may today be the day that someone in this room abandons the old foundation and builds upon a foundation of a relationship with you, Lord Jesus, saved by grace, washed in the blood, headed toward heaven. Lord, for that one that's been trapped by, by the past, whether it was before they knew you and all the things they may have said and done that Satan keeps reminding them of, or whether as a believer, Lord, they've been wounded and hurt by others and Satan keeps reminding them that that there's, there's, there's just no use in trying that again. I pray that today, Lord, we'll put those things behind us where they belong, that we'll forget the past, and we'll allow you by the power of the Holy Spirit that dwells within us to move forward in our pursuit of righteousness and the following of the example of Jesus. Lord, liberate some folks here today. Set them free from the chains of the past, set them free from the chains of a wrong foundation so that your name may, may be glorified in their life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing. Altar is open if you feel led to come and pray. of His glory and grace. 
Thank you so much. I'm going to ask you to be seated for just a moment. Uh, Mike's going to come on up, and uh, we got the others up here. Uh, before we begin our church conference, I want to uh, invite Peter and Chris.